The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. A lucrative career in youth ministry to go be a missionary um, in San Carlos on the Apache Reservation down in Arizona. And people don't do that unless they're responsive to God. And he stayed there in a way that nobody does. Uh, they have missionaries kind of come and go, kind of do their time, and then head out. Uh, Tori and his wife have put down roots there, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, they've planted a little bit of Nebraska in Globe, Arizona. Go Big Red. Um, Can I get an amen? <laughs> you just won everybody's <laughs> hearts now. Uh, so I just want to turn it over to Tori, and he's got our final message of spring thing this year and our message this morning for Westway. So thanks. thanks a um, couple thoughts before I really jump in, although I am going to start my timer, so we're on the clock now, okay. Um, what Mike didn't tell you is about eight or nine years ago when 318 Ministries really all came together, um, I wanted a board of directors that I could trust. I wanted a board of directors that would hold me accountable, that would get in my face and ask me questions, ask me tough questions. I wanted someone who cared deeply about this, this call that God had on my life. And um, Mike hasn't mentioned this at all, but he's actually the president of our um, board of directors. And um, at our, our partnership in that, our partnership over these last 20 years has just been amazing. And Westway, you guys are fortunate to have Mike because of who he is, the man he is. And uh, I am so grateful for his role in 318 Ministries and in my life. Um, and we could tell some fun stories, but we don't have time for that, and we might both get fired. But um, I just have to say, too, man, um, what a little glimpse of heaven this morning when um, generations join together and just cry out to God, all we need is you. Um, I, I hope everyone connected with that the way I did. Man, what, what power there is, and what a day heaven's going to be um, when, when all nations and all generations are going to join together. Um, I, I kind of want to do a little bit of a recap because I feel weird with all you guests coming into our spring thing. I know this is your church, but I kind of feel like you guys are guests because we've been rolling this weekend. And uh, this is actually session five. And so Mike is a mean, mean, mean youth pastor to make these kids sit and listen to me for five times. And so, uh, but yesterday, man, three sessions and, and they were engaged, taking notes and uh, front row plugged in. Shout out front row. I got you. I got you. I heard you last night at the bowling alley. Um, anyway, so but, but I, I just want to kind of recap to give you an idea of, of what we've been going through this weekend. And this whole, this whole weekend was birthed from this, this passion that Mike has deep in his soul. And that once he put words in, I'm like, yeah, that's where I'm at. Because in, in 20-some years of youth ministry, that for, for Mike and for me and for some of these other youth leaders, 20 years... We've seen those kids that just take flight and soar, and I have to tell you, it's amazing, and that just does our heart good. And in 20-some years of youth ministry, we've seen those kids graduate out of the youth ministry program, and they disconnect from the church, and they leave, they fall away, and their life is in shambles. And I cannot tell you the pain and the, the sleepless, tear-filled nights that we have over those students that walk away. And so this weekend, Mike said, okay, here are five things that I want my junior high and senior high students, here are five things I want my youth group to grab a hold of because these five things are a great, great way for them to, to leave the youth ministry and move on into part of the bigger church and do amazing things. And so Friday night, we started off talking about a kingdom, or excuse me, Friday night, let's go get my notes here, a life of worship, 
a life of worship. And we talked about worship as recognizing who God is and who we are before him. Yesterday morning, our second session, we talked about a kingdom mindset. And our big idea there was we play a small part in a big kingdom and a big part in a small kingdom. Now, for some of you, that's not going to make sense. So what you have to do is grab one of these students after and say, okay, hold on. I don't quite get that one. And they can fill you in on that. Yesterday afternoon, our session was a faith that is shared. We talked about the big idea that there'll be zero impact with zero contact. And then last night, we talked about a love that serves and to step out of our comfort zone into our circle of influence. That just kind of gives you an idea of, of where, where we've been this weekend. Um, it hasn't been this fluff-filled, happy little, you know, there's been moments of dancing, um, but there's been moments of depth because Mike and I talked, you know what, we've been doing this too long. We care too deeply about these students. We care too deeply about the church. We care too deeply about God's kingdom to just come and have it be all fun and games. We want a kingdom that advances the gospel. We want to be a part of a kingdom that's advancing and making a difference. We want to be a part of a church, big C, that's doing its part to move forward. And so that's, that's why I, this has been a deep, this has been a, a, a serious weekend. It's been awesome to see the conversations happening in the youth groups. It's, it's been cool, and God is moving. So today... Our fifth session, our title is A Hunger for Depth. A Hunger for Depth. And I just want to tell you, I'm going a little bit slow here because my front row here, they're writing down, so I'm going to wait until you guys are writing down. So Hunger for Depth. And here's our big idea. Don't settle. Go deeper. The big idea there is don't settle. Go deeper. You know, growing up, I never liked my teeth. Um, I just flat out did not like my teeth. And, and I, got to, I found out this a couple days ago that my dentist in Omaha, I actually grew up in Gehring. And, and um, anyway, the Curry family, I don't know if anyone knows the Curry family, um, but um, Bob Curry and Roger Curry, I, I, grew, up with, or I grew up with their kids um, in church over in Omaha. But anyway, Roger Curry was my dentist over there in Omaha, and I hated my teeth. Part of the problem was, was Dr. Curry told me that, that I had this medicine when I was a, like a young kid, and my permanent teeth are kind of stained, and the enamel was off. And anyway, my teeth are just nasty. I hate them. And so I used to spend time as a kid in the mirror just brushing and brushing and brushing my front teeth because I was so worried about what people were going to look at with my front teeth. And guess what happened later on in my teenage years? I got cavities. Not in the front. I got cavities in the back. Because I was so worried about the, the, the front appearance, the outward appearance, I forgot about the depth. And so this made me think, I started looking at it. Did you know that in 2018, Americans spent more than $16.5 billion, with a B, billion dollars on cosmetic, plas- excuse me, cosmetic plastic surgery? $16.5 billion on cosmetic plastic surgery last year. We're so worried about the front. We're so worried about the face. We're so worried about the appearance. And in fact, it's nothing new. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus is talking. We've been at, this weekend, we've been jumping back and forth here in, the, in, this, um, in this sermon. And in verse 20, Jesus is preaching away and he says this, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, this verse would have rocked the world. It would have, would have rocked the listeners who heard this because the, the Pharisees here were more holy, more righteous, 
more closer to God, people thought, than the teachers of the law. Or excuse me, no one was more considered more holy. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of my notes. There was no one considered more holy, more righteous, more closer to God than teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And Jesus comes out and says, if you are not if you're not better than them, you're not going to heaven. And people would say, wait a minute here, I'm just this ordinary person, and here's these Pharisees, they have it all together, it looks like. And they're so wonderful, and they, they're so amazing, and, and I'm not there. In fact, the word Pharisee means separated one. The Pharisees were one of a number of Jewish sects. They were about six or 7,000 men qualified. They were in charge of all the synagogues. They didn't hang out with the common crowd. They were better than the rest of the world. They were separated, and they were superior to everyone else. They're also quick to point out everyone else's shortcomings. They weren't just bad guys, though. They loved the law of God. They were more dedicated to reading and memorizing the word of God than anyone else. Why would Jesus say, unless your righteousness surpasses this group of people? Because Jesus was going to lead somewhere that we need to understand For the Pharisees, their faith may have started in their hearts, but it became a thing of externals. And maybe it started and and it was a real thing, but then suddenly it turned to this thing about how we look and the front we can put up. It became a thing of what they did and what they didn't do. They watched one another and were very keen on on watching each other and seeing who who did what and whether or not they they measured up. And I think there's something inside of us that wants to take faith and reduce, reduce it to a list of do's and don'ts. I don't know why we do that. We think religion is rules and regulations. I think maybe it's because then we can kind of like keep track. Stuff we can check off, I'm like, oh man, I got that, I got that. I'm doing pretty good today. And the Pharisees are really good at doing this. They took a relationship with God and reduced it down to keeping a score. Instead of focusing on how good God is, they focus on how bad everyone else around them is. Jesus clashed with the Pharisees more than any other group on the planet. In fact, I, some of the harshest things he said in the Bible, were to the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, we're going to look at a couple um, woes here, the woe chapter. Matthew chapter 23, we're going to look at verse 15 to start, and we'll jump down later on. But Jesus said this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. There's no sugarcoating there with Jesus. <laughs> you, you will go to, to the ends of the earth to win a convert, but when you do, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. Ouch. I mean, that's, that's serious there. He goes on later on to look at another one, verse 27 there. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean in the same way on the outside you appear to people as righteous but the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness man you look good on the outside you look like you get all together man it just it's good but inside it's just rotten it's dirty it's dead and the outside doesn't match the inside the pharisees were focused on the external at the cost of the internal Make sure you look good regardless of what's going on inside of you. But the faith, excuse me, the, the faith of the Pharisees was all, was all a show. They spent all their time studying scriptures which should have pointed them to Jesus, yet they missed Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. 
Jesus says this again to the, the Pharisees. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You know God's word. You study God's word. You spent your life making this a priority, and yet you've missed the point. What a sad place to be. Where'd the Pharisees go wrong? Their faith in God was externally focused. It was all about the front. It was all about the show. It was about looking good to people to impress people for them to see how good they were. And this morning, I want to kind of do a little compare and contrast for you, and we're going to dive into the life of Peter. And so we're going to look at three snapshots from Peter's life as we kind of think about this backdrop of the Pharisees and the external and the show and and putting up the front. Luke chapter 5. Verses 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake, of a word that I'm not sure how to pronounce, with the people crowding around him. The people were coming around. Jesus, we talked about this yesterday. Jesus was just this rock star of the day. People were coming to hear him preach. They're traveling miles around to come hear him preach. So the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Now, I don't know. I've heard people talk about this. Maybe it was just he was getting crowded around. But then there's also talk about, you know, there's, there's this benefit of Jesus being out a little bit and using the water as kind of a natural amphitheater. I'm not sure. Um, but either way, he put into this boat, went out a little way so he could preach to the crowds that were flocking in there. And Jesus sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. And let down the nets for a catch. Um, I love to fish. I'm not a good fisherman, but I absolutely love to fish. Any other fishermen in here? Can you imagine, and, and some of you look a little bit older than me, that just raised your hand back there, but can you imagine in your years of fishing, in your years of, of experience fishing, and let, let's even think about this, Peter's job, Simon Peter's job here was fishing, and here's this carpenter dude who's now teaching people and comes up and says, hey, Push out to deep water, let's go fishing. Now, I'm not sure about you, but um, I think I'd be a little offended. Wait, you're a carpenter, and you're going to tell me how to do my job. Jesus says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, not how I would, but master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. What a crazy, crazy, crazy. I, we've been fishing all night. Jesus, I, I know what I'm doing. I, I got everything under control. This is my job. But I'm going to try it. And the nets were so full, they began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full of water, or excuse me, so full of fish that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then, then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And so they pulled up their boats on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Let's look at another snapshot from Peter's life. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. 
Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone. Both the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Now, um, in, let me look at my notes right here. In John, it says that they were three, three to three and a half miles across this five-mile lake. So the book of John says, and they were out there a ways. It wasn't like they were close to shore. They were out there. The considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, so this would be like 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., just, around, just before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, <laughs> Right? It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. One more snapshot from Peter's life. Mark chapter 4. Starting in verse 35, Mark 4, 35. That day, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also some other boats with him. And a furious squall, what a, what a phrase there. I mean, we all know exactly what I was talking about there, right? It wasn't just this little, oh, it's a little bumpy here, you know. I'm, I'm on my little pond and my little boat. And, and this was a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You know, so many pivotal moments in Peter's life happened in deep water. So many pivotal moments in Peter's life happened in deep water. And I believe that Peter's life and the way he lived his life going forward was forever changed by the deep water. I love the life of Peter. Maybe I relate to opening my mouth and saying stuff, and I think maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, maybe I relate to Peter because I, I, I find myself in situations and my passion overtakes my brain and it's like, oh, I just, again. I love the life of Peter. And you look at the life of Peter, Acts chapter 2, he preaches on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people came to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I wonder if that day would have been the same if it wasn't for Peter's time in deep water. Peter's imprisoned and, and taken for the Sanhedrin, and they're like, when they realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus, Acts chapter 4. Would that have happened if it wasn't for Peter's time in deep water? Peter's life was changed in deep water. You know, I was thinking about this. Think about how this moment would have been, little, been a little different. There's some water. 
Excuse me, real fast. Easy there. In those moments in Peter's life when hard times came, when, when, when he was living out his life and imprisoned, and when, when God challenged him, what if, excuse me, I better... What if Peter's encounters with Jesus were only this deep? Just so you guys know, you can applaud. This is the third man now who's ever walked on water. Thank you. Thank you. How would Peter's life going forward, you follow his life in the book of Acts, when you, when you read it, First and Second Peter, how would things have been different if Peter's life would have been walking on water? I, what if? What if when Jesus teaches Peter and calls Peter there, the first story we read, what if that was in the shallow part? And, and it could have happened. Jesus said, hey, put down your net. Well, Lord, we're in two inches of water. Yeah, but I'm the son of God. You don't know that yet, but trust me. And yet Jesus says, go out to the deep water. Push out to the deep water. I mean, what if the time when Peter walked on water, what if it was an inch deep. Like, whoa, Jesus, I slipped. Save me. What if there's a storm and they're in the boat and the storm's coming up and it's like, oh my goodness, the storm, it's so scary. What do I do? Oh, I'll step out. Oh, hey, there's the shore. Whoo, that was, God, you're so cool. Peter's life was radically changed in deep water. And that brings us to our, our big idea that we talked to, or I mentioned at the very beginning, we'll talk about a little bit more here, but don't settle. Don't settle. Go deeper. And I know there's, there's three points there that at the bottom of your bulletin for taking notes, and I have to tell you that um, I wrestled with this, and I had four, and I had three, and then I changed my third, and, and this morning I was just talking to God about it, and, because here's the thing. In Bible college, they teach you that preaching, you should have groups of three. For some reason, it makes people remember better. But I'm sorry, I have four this morning, and so I've just funked out of Bible college just now. But I, I have four that God's put in my heart, and so I want to share. But here's the first one. Don't settle. Go deeper in authenticity. You know, I think as we look at, when we look at the lives of the Pharisees, they were all about the superficial. They are all about looking good. They are all about pretending like life was all together. Inside, they were rotten and dead. And they didn't even acknowledge that. Don't settle. Don't settle for in authenticity. Go deeper. Um, just to be totally honest with you guys, um, I've had a hard season of life. Uh, busyness and sickness and all kinds of stuff going on. And, and I spent some time, I was Tuesday, I was coaching soccer and talked to a, a good friend of mine as a pastor where I live and and um, I was talking to him about, about actually this message. I'm like, okay, I'm wrestling with this, and I'm wrestling with, do I do four or three, and I have these three, but anyway, and, and we had a text conversation that night. I don't know, it was probably, well, it was after about 10 o'clock at night. And he texted me after we'd been talking about this back and forth. He said this, love your brother, give him heaven. And I'm just gonna be totally 100% transparent with you. I said, love you too, and I appreciate you. Please pray for me this weekend. I feel like my emotional tank is empty, my physical tank is low, and my only hope is that my spiritual tank can carry me through this weekend. T. 
you have people in your life that you can say, hey, here's where I'm at. I'm, I got nothing left. And his response was so stinking simple. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And I have to tell you guys, that has been my, my cry to God this weekend. That in somehow my weakness and somehow my, my tank being empty, that it, it, I have nothing to offer God, I feel, this weekend other than everything I have, and that just doesn't even feel like enough. That somehow in that moment that God can use my lacking for his purpose. Can I just tell you how powerful it is to have someone like that in your life to say, man, this is where I'm at. There's no judging. There's no, oh, I'm, I'm concerned about you. It was, hey, remember the truth of God. I'm praying for you. Give him heaven. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Church, we must not settle, but go deeper in authenticity. Um, I absolutely love, you mentioned one time blind, um, there was a skit that they did, and some of you guys may have even seen it, but they, did, they do a skit where, where this guy's got this struggle, he's got this thing going on in his life, and he goes to talk to a friend, and, and as he kind of starts to maybe start talking, then this character portraying the, the enemy, portraying, portraying the devil comes up and starts tying him up. And he's like, well, hey, I, I got this going on in my life, and I'm struggling. And the next thing you know, he's up there with this big old rope, arms at his side, paralyzed. You guys, that's what the enemy wants. He wants to separate us. He wants to alienate us from everyone else. He wants to make us think that, that you got to put on this show because every Sunday morning, people are going to look around and see how, what you look like, how you're doing. And so we walk into this church and pretend like we're holy and we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. And inside, we're hurting and we cannot continue. Don't settle. Go deeper in authenticity. Something that God's just absolutely put on my heart over these last couple of weeks is don't settle. Go deeper in hope. Go, go deeper in hope. And I'm, I'm not talking, you know, I think so many times we, we absolutely miss the word hope. Because it's like, oh man, I'm coming back into town and my gas tank's on, on like five miles to empty and I got ten miles to go. I hope I can make it to a gas station. Or, or we think, you know, um, I, I hope my pants fit. Personal story. I, I hope my kid makes the team. I, I hope, I, I hope, I hope. And I think we cheapen the word hope in our lives. Because hope, in fact, if, if you can replace the word wish for hope, it's not really hope. It's a wish. I wish my pants would fit. Amen. <laughs> I, I wish I could make it into town and get my gas. That... But hope, hope is not a wish. Hope is a deep, steadfast knowledge that God is who he says he is and he will keep his promises. Hebrews, yeah, we'll start. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. When we find ourselves in deep water, hope is an anchor for our soul. It's not this I wish, it's this I know. It's not that, I, well, I, I wish I make it to heaven. I wish God is who he says he is. It is knowing that God is who he says he is. 
and that he will keep his promises. And then 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Here's Peter's words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a living hope. This is not a wish. This is not just a, a fantasy, a fairy tale, a, oh, I rub the magic lamp and get three wishes. This is a hope, a steadfast, steadfast knowledge. Peter knows that, the living hope. He knows that because he witnessed and he encountered Jesus in deep water. And this is the one that I, I wrestled with and I took out. I'm putting it back in, but don't settle. Go deeper and surrender. Go deeper and surrender. Two verses that we've already talked about, we talked about yesterday here, but I just want to repeat them again, but Luke 9, 23. And Jesus said, if you, anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Because our lives cannot be about ourselves. We cannot be about us creating our kingdom and our, putting ourselves on our throne. Our lives must be about surrendering and putting God on the throne of our lives. We talked yesterday, and this is just something that in, in studying for these messages, it just has absolutely rocked my world, but um, the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. A man named Richard Rohr wrote this, he said, you cannot pray your kingdom come without praying my kingdom go. And you can't pray your will be done until you, until you pray my will go. Church, we must go deeper in surrender. And then the last one there, we must go deeper in wonder. My son's here with me this weekend. One thing that I absolutely love about my son is he just asks questions because he just wonders. And you know what? I don't know which one will go faster, a Camaro or a Corvette, but he's asking me that question. And a lot of times my answer is, I have no idea, son. Let's get two and race them is my thought. But no, that's... Um, why? What? You know, if you look at the life of Peter um, in Luke chapter 24, first day of the week, the women go out. Um, after the, the, Jesus died on the cross, first day of the week, the women go out. They're going to go take care of the body. And they get there, and he's not there. And then verse 9 of chapter 24, when they came back from the tomb, they, were told, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. There's Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others with them. But they did not believe the women because the, their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what happened. You know, I don't know where you're at in your journey today with, with God. I don't know if you've been coming to this church for longer than most people around here have been alive. Or maybe this is your, your first time really trying to figure out who is this God. And what I challenge you with, if you're 100 years old, if you're three years old, don't stop wondering. You know, I, I feel like sometimes we, we, we approach God and say, well, well, God can't handle our questions and it makes them uncomfortable. We can't admit we have questions. We can't wrestle with this. God's not too big. Don't stop wondering. Peter himself here wondered. And I'm going to tell you, if you really stop and wonder about Jesus, it's kind of risky. Don't stop wondering. So my son and I flew into Denver Thursday night from Phoenix. 
got up Friday and we decided we are going to go hike at Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to just savor the moments with my, my children and just create these cool experiences. And so I'm like, let's go hike. We go to the, the stand there to, to check in, you know, to pay the, the entrance fee and um, get up there. And so I just ask, I'm like, hey, we're looking for just a casual hike. Casual. And, um, and I said, I only got a couple hours. I need to get up to, to western Nebraska. He said, hey, go try Cub Lake. So anyway, long, long story, I'm going to cut it out here a little bit. But, so we end up at Cub Lake Trail, and um, we grab our bottles of water, and um, we start off on our hike. 2.3 miles, it said. And so we're hiking along, and I have to tell you that I'm thinking, okay, 2.3 miles, that's about nine laps around the track. I'll go walk the track sometimes at our town and, and uh, trying to get in some sort of shape. And so I'm like, nine laps, that's not bad. We can do this. I got, we got a couple hours, we can do this. So we're hiking. And we're hiking. Now, um, my son is in an awesome shape. Ran cross country in the fall, played soccer in the winter. We do winter soccer down in Arizona. He's taking this, this, spring, uh, this spring off, but he's going to be swimming. He's in great shape. And so he's like bounding up this trail like some mountain goat or something, and I'm not. And if I'm just totally honest with you, there was times when people were coming down the, the trail towards us, and my actual thought was, slow down your breathing, quiet down your breathing, slow down your breathing, don't let people know you're dying. <laughs> it got so bad that my 14-year-old son, and we all know how perceptive teenagers are, looked around and was like, Dad, you doing okay? I'm like, yeah, I, I'm here. Just if, you, if I fall, I'll call your name, then come back and help me. And we're going, and we're going, and I'm watching the clock because it's getting later, and I know that for every mile that we hike, we got to hike back. And I found out that 2.3 is not a round trip. That's a one-way and we get there, we're hiking, we're hiking. There's spots where there's boulders, and I'm having to step up and push up, and then I'm looking for the spots where it's just gradual. Can I get an amen from the back? You know what I'm talking about? You young people have no idea what's in store. But the back section knows what I'm talking about, right? Because when you're doing those steps, man, and you're stepping on those rocks and pushing up, that just hurts those knees. But if you can do that little slope, it was so much better. So I'm looking for the slopes, I'm looking for those, I'm huffing, I'm puffing, I, it, it was ugly. And we get up there to a point and people come down saying, man, you know, it's, it's, it's snow packed up there. It's, it's shin deep in the snow, but, and, I'm, and I'm looking at Trey, I'm like, and he's like, let's keep going, let's keep going. I'm like, okay. We get up this one point where I'm like, you know, hey son, there's a bunch of people. I'm like, let's just stop here and let these people go first. Like, oh no, go ahead. I'm going, no, I need to catch my breath. And these people are putting on these, these toe spikes because it's this snowpack part of the trail that honestly is about that much of a pitch going up. And I'm kind of looking at my son, and I'm wrestling with this because I knew today's message was coming. And do I settle? Or do I go? I'm standing there. I'm not sure. I'm looking at the snowpacked thing. I look at my phone it had time, and it said it was 1.05. I knew I had about a three-and-a-half-hour drive. I was supposed to be here around 5, and we had to hike out. And I did something that I want you to know I'm not proud of, and I wish, in fact, I, I told my son, I said, you know, we're going to turn around. We, we, can't, we can't keep going. But I told him, I said, before I die, I want to come back and hike this trail with you. And all the way down that hill, over the, the steps that we'd just taken, I just kept on being so frustrated with myself because we had to settle. 
we got on farther down, and, and of course, he's just bounding down the trail more, and we're passing people going back down. And this one couple goes, oh, did you guys make it to the top? And we're like, no, we got to the snowpack park, and i got to be in western Nebraska. Here's my excuses. And, and she goes, oh, you got to that part? She goes, you're about 500 feet from the lake. I want you to know it was all that I could do within me. Well, my heart, my body wasn't, but my heart's going to turn around and get back up there. 500 feet from our destination. And we turned around. Now, folks, I stand before you this morning and say, you know what, yeah, that trail does not have an effect on eternity, but I don't want to leave a legacy of settling. I don't care if you're, if you're five years old in this room, if you're 105 in this room, someone's following you up a trail. If you're a parent, someone's following up this trail. If you're a grandparent, your grandkids are looking to you. Trust me, I know, because my, my kids look up to their grandparents so much and have incredible relationships. Grandparents, people are your grandkids, your children, they're following you up this trail. Students, you have people in your life that are following you up this trail. And the stakes aren't about just getting to Cub Lake at Rocky Mountain Park. The stake is eternal. And I feel like so many times we think, you know what? I'm just going to settle. Church, I beg you, don't settle. Go deeper. Let's pray. God, thanks for this weekend. And, and again, I pray over these students and just ask that you will use them in a mighty way as they step out of their comfort zone this weekend and as they go back to their circle of influence. And God, we know it's easy to claim a walk with you on a Sunday morning in church, whether we're students or adults. It's a lot easier to be comfortable in Christians here. And yet we step into our jobs. We step into our schools. We step into our lives. We step into that circle of influence. And man, it gets tough. God, help today to be different. Help us make a mark in this dirt, and we're going to step across. We're just not going to settle. We're not going to settle in our relationship with you, but we're going to go deeper. And God, thanks that you want that deep relationship with us. As imperfect as we are, you want us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks, Tori. If you're serving communion today, would you go ahead and head to the back? And I need, I need to let you all know, we're going to do communion a little bit different today. Um, as we take communion, we're also going to be participating in worship through a song. And so if you need to sit until the communion tray is passed and then you'd like to stand and sing, that is totally fine. If you want to stand while the communion is coming your way, that's okay. Just ask that you guys be flexible with each other. And um, as we pass the trays as we normally do, we're reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made that has called us into a life that we can't make on our own. You know, I think of the last 20 years of student ministry. I think of even my life as a kid growing up in the church and there are so many times when I wanted to make a difference I wanted what I was doing to matter and there are all kinds of things that I would try 
to make sure that those mattered. But overall, these five marks that we've been talking about this weekend, they really summarize all of that. And every single one of those exists over an umbrella that is, is perfectly exemplified for us in what we're celebrating in this moment. Because as we take communion, I know it's, it's typically kind of this quiet time. It's a contemplative thing that we do. But it's also a celebration because the body of Jesus that was broken and the blood of Jesus that was spilled means victory for us. It means that death isn't the end. It means that that, that terrible thing that we all know is waiting for us, that's not the last thing. And what Jesus did for us in that moment was taste death on our behalf. And he chewed it up and spit it out. He won. And so death no longer has any power over those of us that are in Christ Jesus. And it's because of his humility. He didn't have to do that. He didn't deserve to do that. But his humility led him to love us enough to do exactly that. In Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul wrote that you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And so God elevated him to the, the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You want to live a life that makes a difference? Students, you want to be a student ministry that makes a difference in the world, that leaves an impact? Youth leaders, you want to lead? Church leaders, you want to lead in ways that last a lifetime? Then do that in humility, the humility of Jesus Christ. Let him be your example in that. Father, we come to you now and we thank you. We thank you that you sent your son. And we thank you that he was willing to set aside all of his rights and everything that he did deserve in order that we would gain what we don't deserve. Father, would you shape us in a moment in ways that will last for a lifetime? It's in your son's name we pray. 